Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is The Worldless by Indra Pramit Das, narrated by Stefan Rutnicki. This story is copyright 2017. Indra Pramit Das a.k.a. Indra Das, is a writer from Calcutta, India. His debut novel, The Devourers, was shortlisted for the 2016 Crawford Award. His short fiction has appeared in a variety of publications and anthologies, including Tor.com, Clark's World, Asimov's, and The Year's Best Science Fiction. He is a 2012 Octavia E. Butler Scholar and a grateful graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop. And so it's time to buckle up, because we're going to light speed. The Worldless by Indra Pramit Das Every day Nute watched the starship from their shack, selling satshine and sweet chai to wayfarers on their way to the stars. Nute and their kin satellite baked an endless supply of clay cups using dirt from the vast plain of the port. Nute and satellite, like all the hawkers in the shanties that surrounded the dirt road, were Dunishar, worldless, cursed to a single brown horizon, if one gently undulated by time to grace their eyes with dun hills. Cursed also to witness that starship in the distance vessel of the night sky as it sets sail on the rippling waves of time and existence itself, so the wayfarers told them year after year. The starship, the sky, the dun hills, the port plain. They knew this, and this only. Sometimes the starship looked like a great temple reaching to the sky. All of Nute's customers, endless pilgrims, lining up to enter its hallowed halls and carry them through the cloth that gods made. Nute and Satlit had never been inside a starship. If Nute gave them free chai, the wearfarers would sometimes show viz of other worlds on their armbands, flicking them like so much digichaff into the air where they sprouted into glowing spheres, ghost marbles to mimic the air-rich dewdrops that clustered eon-wise along the fiery filaments of the galaxy. The wayfarers would wave in practiced arcana, and the spheres would twirl and zoom and transform as they grew, until their curvature became glimpses of those worlds and their settlements glittering under the myriad suns and moons. Nute would watch, silent, unable to look away. 
once, sat-lit, brandishing a small metal junk shiv, had asked whether Nute wanted them to corner a wayfarer in a lonesome corner of the port and rob them of their armband or their data coins. Nute had slapped Satlit then, so hard their cheek blushed pink. Nute knew Satlit would never hurt anyone, that all they wanted was to give their maba a way to look at pictures of other worlds without having to barter with wayfarers. When Nute touched Satlit's cheek a moment after striking, the skin was hot with silent anger, and perhaps shame. Sometimes the starship looked like monolithic shards of black glass glittering in the sun, carefully stacked to look beautiful but terrifying. Sometimes the starship would change shape, those shards moving slowly to create a different configuration of shapes upon shapes, with a tremendous moaning that sounded like a gale moving across the hills and pouring out across the plain. As it folded and refolded, the starship would no longer look like shards of black glass. Sometimes, when it moved to reconfigure its shape, the starship would look suddenly delicate despite its size, like black paper origami of a starship dropped onto the plain by the hand of a god. Nute had once seen an actual paper starship, left by a wayfarer on one of Nute's rough-hewn benches, the wayfarer had told them the word for it, origami. The paper had been mauve, not black. The world that interested Nute the most, of course, was Earth. The one all the genes of all the people in the galaxy first came from, going from blood to blood to whisper the memory of the first human into all their bodies, so they still looked more or less the same no matter which world they were born on. Nute, Earth is so crowded you can't imagine it, one wayfarer had told him, spreading their hands across that brown horizon Nute was so familiar with. Just imagine, the wayfarer said. Peoples were having kin there before there were starships, before any peoples went to any other star than Sol. This planet, your planet, is a station, no? Huh? Nute then reminded the wayfarer that this was not their planet, not really, because it was not a place of peoples, but a port for peoples to rest in between their travels across the universe. Dunishar had no planet, no cultures to imitate, no people. Ach, you know that's the same, same, the wayfarer said. But Nute knew it wasn't, and felt a slight pain in their chest, so familiar. But they knew the wayfarer wouldn't know what this was, and they said nothing, and listened as they spoke on. If this planet is port, then Earth, that is the first city in the universe. Babel, Kafinwala. Not so nice for you. Feels like not enough Atmo for so many peoples if you go there. After this planet, with all this air, so much air, so much place. And Nute told that wayfarer, that they'd heard the earth had a thousand different worlds on it, because it had a tilt and atmos that painted its lands a thousand different shades of place as it spun around the first sun. Less than a thousand, and not the only world with other worlds on it, the wayfarer said, laughing behind their mask. But look! The wayfarer raised their arm to spring Viz into the air. 
and there was a picture of a brown horizon and dun hills. See? Just like here. Nute looked at the dun hills and marveled that this too could be earth. Kazakhstan, said the wayfarer, and the place name was a cold drop of rain in Nute's mind, sending ripples across their skull. It made them feel better about their own dunhills, which caught their eye for all the long days, just a little bit better. So it went. Wayfarers would bring pieces of the galaxy, and Nute would hold the ones of Earth in their memory. It had brown horizon, blue horizon, green horizon, red horizon, gray horizon. When the starship was about to leave, the entire port plane would come alive with warning, klaxons sounding across the miles of empty dirt and clanging across the corrugated roofs of the shop shanties and tents. Nute and Satellite would stop work to watch even if they had customers, because even customers would turn their heads to see. To watch a starship leave is to witness a hole threaded through reality. And no one can tire of such a vision. Its lights glittering, it would fold and fold its parts until there was a thunderous boom that rolled across the plain, sending glowing cumulus clouds rolling out from under the vessel and across the land. A flash of light, like the clap of an invisible hand, and the clouds would be gone in less than a second to leave a perfect black sphere where the starship had been. If you looked at the sphere, which was only half visible, emerging from the ground a perfect, gigantic bubble of nothingness, it would hurt your eyes, because there was nothing to see within its curvature. For an intoxicating second, there would be hurtling winds ripping dust through the shop shanties, creating a vortex of silken veils over the plain and around the sphere. The shanty roofs would rattle, the horses would clump in their stables, the wind chimes would sing a shattering song. The very air would vibrate as if it were fragile, humming to the tune of that null-dimensional half-circle embedded in the horizon, a bloated negative sunrise. In the next moment the sphere would vanish in a thunderclap of displaced atmos, and there would be only flat land where the starship had once stood. A few days later, the same sequence would occur in reverse, and the starship would be back, having gone to another world and returned with a new population. When it returned, the steam from its megastructures would create wisps of clouds that hung over the plain for days until they drifted with their shadows into the hills. Being younger Dunishar, Sadlit worked at the stalls some days, but did harder chores around the port, like cleaning toilets and helping starship crews do basic maintenance work. Every sunrise, Nute watched Satlit leave the stall on their dirt bike, space-black hair free to twine across the wind. The droning dirt bike would draw a dusty line across the plain, its destination the necklace of far-off lights extending from where the squatting starship basked in sunrise. The dromes, where wayfarers refueled, processed, lived in between worlds. The dirt bikes would send wild horses rumbling in herds across the port plain, a sight that calmed Nute's weakening bones. Nute had worked at the dromes, too, when they were younger and more limber. 
They'd liked the crowds there, the paradisiacal choirs of announcements that echoed under vaulted ceilings, the squealing of boots on floor leaving tracks to mop up, the harsh and polychrome cast of hollow fake neon advertising bars, clubs, eateries, and shops run by robots, or upscale wayfarer staff that swapped in and out to replace each other with each starship journey so they didn't have to live on the planet permanently like the Dunishar. Nowadays the drones were a distant memory. Nute stayed at the shack, unable to do that much manual labor. Those that spent their lives on the planet of arrivals and departures could only grow more thin and frail as time washed over the days and nights. The Dunishar's genes had whispered their flesh into earth form, but on a world with a weaker gravity than earth. Nute's chai itself was brewed from leaf grown in a printer tent with a second-hand script for accelerated microclimate. Hardware left behind from starships over centuries, nabbed from the junk shops of the port by Nute for shine and minutes of tactile, since Dunishar were never not lonely, and companionship was equal barter, usually, usually good for friendships. Nute would meditate inside the chai-printing tent, which was misty and wet in growing season, their body caressed by damp green leaves, air fragrant with alien sweet perfume of plant life not indigenous. With closed eyes, Nute would pretend to be on earth, the source of chai and peoples and everything. Each time a cycle ended, and the microclimate roasted the leaves to heaps of brown brew-ready shavings, the tent hissed steam like one of Nute's kettles. And that whistle was a quiet mourning for the death of that tent world of green. Until next cycle. The tent had big letters across its fiber on the outside, reading Darjeeling in Englis and Nagar script. A place name, a wayfarer had clarified. When Sadlit was younger, they'd asked Nute if the Dunishar could just build a giant printer tent the size of the port itself, and grow a huge forest of plants and trees here like on earth or other worlds. Nute knew these weren't thoughts for a Dunishar to have, and would go nowhere. But they said they didn't know. The starshine was easier brewed from indigenous fungus, grown in shit. Sometimes, as evening fell and the second sun lashed its last threads of light across the dun hills gone blue, or when the starship secreted a mist that wreathed its alloyed spires, the starship looked like a great and distant city, just like Nute had seen in viz of other worlds, towers of lights flickering to give darkness a shape the outline of lives lived. The starship was a city, of course, to take people across the galaxy to other cities that didn't move across time and existence. There were no cities here, of course, on the planet of arrivals and departures. If you traveled over the horizon as Nute had, you would find only more port planes dotted with emptiness and lights and shop shanties and vast circular planes with other starships at their centers or great mountain ranges that were actually junkyards of detritus left by centuries of interstellar stops, 
and dismantled starships in their graveyards, all crawling with scavengers. Some Dunishar dared to live in those dead starships, but they were known to be unstable and dangerous, causing genes to mutate so kin would be born looking different than humans. If this were true, Nute had never seen such people, who probably kept to themselves or died out. Nute had heard that if you walked far enough, you could see fields with starships so massive they reached the clouds, hulking across the sky, that these could take you to worlds at the very edge of the galaxy, where you could see the void between this galaxy and the next one, visible as a gemmed spiral instead of a sun. Once the wayfarer who'd left the origami starship for Nute had come back to the stall months or years later, Nute hadn't realized until they left because they'd been wearing goggles and an air filter. But they left another little paper origami, this time in white paper, of a horse. Horses were used for low-energy transport and companionship among many of the Dunishar. They had arrived centuries ago as frozen liquid genes from a starship's biovat, though Nute was five when they first realized that horses, like humans, weren't from the world they lived in. Curiously, the thought brought tears to their eyes when they first found this out. Sometimes the starship looked like a huge, living creature, resting between its journeys, sweating and steaming and groaning through the night. This it was, in some sense. Deep in its core was residual life left by something that had lived eons ago on the planet of arrivals and departures, the reason for this junction in space. There was exotech here, found long before Nute or any Dunishar were born here, ghosts of when this planet was a world, mined by the living from other worlds. Dunishar were not allowed in these places, Extra terra ruins where miners, archaeologists, and other pilgrims from across the galaxy gathered. Nute, like most Dunishar, had little interest in these zones or the ruins of whatever civilization was buried under the dirt of this once world. Their interest was in the living civilization garlanding the galaxy, the one that was forever just out of their reach. On their brief travels with satlets strapped to their back as a tender-faced baby, Nute had seen the perimeter of one of these excavation zones from a mile away, floodlights like a white sunrise against the night, flowing over a vast black wall lined with flashing lights, humming in the ground and thunder crashing over the flatlands from whatever engines were used to unearth the deep ruins and mine whatever was in them. Nute's steed, a sturdy black mare the stablemaster that had bartered her had named Pacho, had been unusually restless even a mile from that zone. Nute imagined the ghosts of a bygone world seeping from out of those black walls and trickling into their limbs and lungs and those of their tender child gurgling content against their back. Nute rode away as fast as they could. Pacho died a few weeks later, perhaps older than the stable-master had promised. But Nute blamed the zone and rubbed ointment on Satlit for months after, 
dreading the morning they'd find their kin dead because of vengeful ghosts from the long-dead world that hid beneath this planet's time. For Satellite's survival, Nute thanked the stars, especially Sol, that had no ghosts around them. Satellite had asked Nute one day where they'd come from and whose kin Nute themselves was. Nute had waited for that day and had answers for their child, who was ten at the time. They sat by their shack in the evening light, Nute waving a solar lantern until it lit. I am a new gen Duniashar, Satlit, they said to their child. This means I have no Maba, no parents at all. Satlit asked how, eyes wide with existential horror. Listen, many genes were brought here frozen many years ago. I taught you. Two humans, genes, whisper together to form a new human. Some humans share their genes with another human in tiny eggs held in their bellies, and others share it in liquid held between their legs. Two people from some world that I don't know gave their genes in egg and liquid so that peoples could bring them here frozen to make new humans to work here and help give solace to the wayfarers traveling the stars. We are these new humans, the Dunishar. There are many old-gen Dunishar here who have parents and grandparents and on and on. The first of their prekin were born to surrogates a long time ago. Understand, no? Satlit nodded, perhaps bewildered. I was new-gen, the first person my genes formed here on the planet of arrivals and departures. I was born right there. Nute stopped here to point at the distant lights of the drones. In the nursery, where wayfarer surrogates live for nine months, growing us new gen kin when there aren't enough people in the ports anymore. They get good barter value for doing this, from the off-world peoples who run these ports. Who taught you to talk? Who taught you what all you know? asked Satlit. The Dunishar Chota Kin. They will help their own. All the people in this shanty place, they taught me. The three sibs who raised me through the youngest years and weaned me are all blessed them dead from time. Plain simple. This planet is too light for humans to live too long as Earth and other livable worlds. Did you sleep with the three sibs so the genes whispered me into existence? No, 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 they were like my parents. I couldn't do that. I slept with another when I grew. Their name was Farwe. Farwe, I say, na, your other maba. With them I had you, Chotakin. They are dead, too? Nute smiled then, though barely. I don't know, Satlit. They left on a starship. How? They were a wayfarer? No. They grew up right here, new gen, same as me. They had long black hair like you, and the red cheeks like you also. The genes alive and biting at the skin to announce the beauty of the body they make. Satlit slapped Nute's hand and stuck out their tongue. Why? Why are you hitting your maba? Fine, you are ugly. The genes hide away and are ashamed. Satlit giggled. Anyway, such a distracted child. Your other maba, we grew up here together. We had you. 
they were here when I was born? Nute pursed their lips. They had promised that their child would have the entire truth. For a while, huh? But they left. Don't be angry. Faraway wanted to take you. They made a deal with a wayfarer that sold them a spacesuit. They said they could get two more. One emergency suit for babies. Very clever, very canny, Faraway was. Why? Nute took a deep breath. To hold on to a starship. To see eternity beyond the window and come out to another world on the other side. Other Maba went away holding on to a starship on the outside? I see I taught you some sense, Chotakin. Yes, it is as dangerous as it sounds. Some people have done it. If they catch you on the other side, they take you away to jail, like in the drones for murderers and rapists and drunkards. But bigger jail for other worlds. That is, if you survive. Theory, na? Possible. But those who do it, ride the starships on the side, see the other side of time. They never come back, so we can't ask if it worked or no, na? So I said no. I said I will not take my kin like a piece of luggage while hanging onto the side of a starship. I refused Farway. I would not take you or myself, and I demanded Farway not go. I grabbed their arm and hurt them by mistake, just a little Chotakin, but it was enough for both of us. I let them go, forever. Far away, Maba. Other Maba went and never came back. Shh, Chotakin. Nute stroked a tear away from Satlit's cheek. You didn't know Far away, though they are your other Maba. I gave them all the tears you can want to honor them. No more. But you liked Farway, Maba. You grew up with them. Note smiled, almost laughing at the child's sweetness. They held Satlit before their little face crumpled, letting them cry just a little bit for Farway. Gone to Note forever, dead or alive, behind the black window of existence. Many years later, Note's kin Satlit proved themselves the kin of Farway, too, in an echo of old time. They came droning across the plains from the drones, headlights cutting across the dust, while Nute sipped chai with the other shanty wallas in the middle of the hawker's cluster. The starship was gone, out on some other world, so business was slow that evening. Satlid thundered onto the dust road in the center of the shanty town, screeching to a halt, their jeans clearly fired up and steaming from the mouth in the chilly air. Your kin is huffing, one of the old hawkers grinned with their gums. Best go see to them. So Nute took Satlit indoors to the shack and asked what was wrong. Listen, Nute, Maba, I've seen you year after year looking at the wayfarer's pictures of earth. You pretend when I'm around, but I can see that you want to go there, go after Farway. Go after Farway? What are you on about? We don't even know whether they went to Earth, or if they're alive or rotting in some jail on some remote world in the galaxy. Not for real, go after. I mean, go after. Story type, na? Fairy tale? Exact. I know next time the starship comes, it will go to Earth. Know this for fact. I have good tips from the temp staff at the drones. 
What did you barter for this? Some black market subsidiary exotech from last starship crew, changing hands down at the drones. Bartered some that came to my hands. Bartered some shine, some tactile. What's it matter? Tactile ke Please, Maba. I use protection. You think wayfarers fuck Dunisha without protection? They don't want our genes whispering to theirs. They just want our bodies exotic. What have you done, Chotakin? Don't worry, Maba. I wouldn't barter tactile if I wasn't okay with it. But listen, I did good barter. Better than just info. Spacesuit, full function. High compressed oxy capacity. Full on nine hours. Starship blinks in and out of black bubble. Max 20 hours, depending on size. The one in our port, medium size, probably 10 hours. Plus camo field to blend into the side of the ship. We'll make it, like Farway did. How do you know so much? Where do you get all this tech? Same way you did, Maba. Over years. There are people in the dromes, Sutlet said in excitement. They know things. I talk, I give tactile, I learn. I learn there are worlds like you did. This? You know this isn't the world. Ghost planet, fuel station, port. You know this. We all know this. Farway had the right idea. Nute shook their head. This was it. It was happening again. From the fire of the jinns raging hot in Satlit's high cheekbones, they knew. There was no saying no. Like they'd lost Farway to time and existence, they would lose Satlit too. Nute knew there was no holding Satlit by the arm to try and stop them like before. They were too weak for that now. Even if Nute had been strong enough, they would never do that again. It was as if Farway had disappeared into that black bubble and caused a ripple of time to lap across the port in a slow wave that had just arrived. An echo in time. The same request from Kin. What do you say, Maba? asked Satlit, eyes wide like when they were little. We might die, Chotakin. Then we do. Better than staying here to see your eyes go dead. Even filtered breathing, the helmet and the suit was hot, so unlike the biting cold air of the planet. Nute felt like they might shit the suit, but what could one do? There was a diaper inside with bioabsorbent disinfectant padding, or so the wayfarer had said. They had scaled the starship at night, using a service drone operated by a green-eyed wayfarer who had made the deal with Satlit though they had other allies, clearly. Looking at those green, earth-born eyes and listening to their strange accent, but even stranger affection for Satlit, Nute realized there might be more here than mere barter greed. This wayfarer felt bad for them, wanted to help, which made Nute feel a bit sick as they clambered into the spacesuit. But the wayfarer also felt something else for Satlit, who seemed unmoved by this affection, their jaws set tight and face braced to meet the future that was hurtling towards them. There'll be zero G in the sphere once the starship phases into it. Theoretically, if the spacesuits work, you should be fine. There's nothing but vacuum inside the membrane, the edges of the sphere. If your mag tethers snap, you'll float out towards those edges, which you absolutely do not want. Being inside the bubble is safe in a suit, 
But if you float out to the edge and touch it, there's no telling what will happen to you. We don't know. You might see the entirety of the universe in one go before dying, but you will die or no longer be alive in the way we know. Understand? Do not jerk around with the tethers. Hold on to each other. Hold on to each other like the kin you are. Stay calm and drift with the ship in the bubble so there's no stress on the tethers. Keep your eyes closed throughout. Open when you hear the ship's noise again. Do not look at the inside of the bubble or you might panic and break tether. That's it. Once the ship phases out, things will get tough in a different way if you're alive. Earth ports are chaos and there's a chance no one will find you till one of my contacts comes by with a ship surface drone to get you. There are people on Earth who sympathize with the Dunishar, who want to give them lives, give you lives. So don't lose hope. There are people who have survived this. I've ushered them to the other side. But if you survive only to have security forces capture you, ask for a refugee lawyer. Got it? Refugee. Remember the word. You have been kept here against your will, and you are escaping. Good luck. I'll be inside. The wayfarer paused, breathless. I wish you could be too. But security is too tight inside. They don't think enough people have the courage to stick to the side of the ship and see the universe naked, and most don't. They don't know, do they? With that, the wayfarer kissed Satlit's helmet, and then Nute's, and wiped each with their gloved hand, before folding themselves into the drone and detaching it from the ship. Lightless and silent, they sailed away into the night. Nute hoped they didn't crash it. Nute felt sick dangling from the ship, even though they were on an incline. Below them, the lights of the launching pad lit a slow mist rising from the bottom of the starship, about four hundred feet down. The skin of the ship was warm and rumbled in a sleeping, breathing rhythm. They switched on the camo field, which covered them both, though they couldn't see the effects. Satlit was frighteningly silent. Chotakin, Nute whispered to test the range comm. "'Maba,' Satlit whispered back with a sweaty smile. "'The starship awoke with the suns. "'Their uneasy dozing was broken by the light "'and by the deeper rumble in the starship's skin. "'The brown planet of arrivals and departures "'stretched away from them in the distance those dun hills. "'The pale blue sky flecked with thin icy clouds. "'The port dromes, the dirt roads like pale veins, the shanties glittering under the clear day in the far distance. Their one and only place. Hum, as Wayfarer said. A strange word. Those fucking dun hills, thought Nute. Bless us, soul, and all the stars without ghosts, whispered Nute. Close your eyes, Chotakin. Remember far away, Maba, said Sadlit, face wet behind the curved visor. The bottom of the starship exploded into light, and Nute thought they were doomed, the juddering sending them sliding down the incline. Nute held Satlit's gloved hand tight, grip painful. Flesh and bone pressed against flesh and bone through the nano-weaves. I am old, Nute thought. Let Satlit live to see Earth. The light, the sound, was gone. 
Satlit convulsed next to Nute, who felt every movement of their kin through closed eyes. They embraced, Nute holding Satlit tight, a hollow vibration when their visors met. The ship was eerily still under them, no longer warm through the thick suit. Satlit was making small sounds that coalesced slowly into words. We're alive. Their breathing harsh in the helmet, the only sound along with the hissing breath of Satlit into their own mic. Nute opened their eyes to see the universe looking back. Don't look, don't look, don't look. I know you opened your eyes, Mabba. What did you see? I don't. Don't look. I saw darkness. Time like a living thing, a, a womb. With the light beyond its skin, the light from creation. From the beginning of time and the end, so far away, shining through the dark skin. There were veins of light and information pulsing around us. I saw our genes rippling through those veins in the universe. Humanity's genes. Time is alive, Satlit. Don't let it see us. Keep your eyes closed. I will, Mabba. That is a good story, Satlit gasped. Remember it for the refugee lawyer. Time is alive, and eventually it births all things, just as it ends all things. When the ship turned warm with fresh thunder, their visors were set aglow, bathing their quivering eyelids with hot red light, the light of blood and genes. Their spacesuits thumped down on the incline, the tethers umbilical around each other, kin and kin, like twins through time entwined, clinging to the skin of a ship haunted by exo-ghosts. They held each other tight, and under soul knew the light of home, where the first genes came from. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki reading The Worldless by Indra Pramit Das. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Our sponsor this month is Hakusuru, an imprint of Viz Media dedicated to bringing Japanese science fiction to America and beyond. You can hear an excerpt of Orbital Drop by Taiyo Fuji in our March ebook issue. To learn more, visit hakasuru.com slash orbital dash cloud. When you type that into your browser, note that Hakasuru is spelt H-A-I-K-A-S-O-R-U. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. 
Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.